Hello everybody, Jason here, recording in the car before work. Hopefully the sound quality will mesh okay with the rest of the episode. I just want to add something before the episode. I was watching the latest episode of Wandering DMs on YouTube, and they're talking about money in D&D. And there's lots of people over the years that have said, we have to get away from the gold standard. The gold standard doesn't make any sense. There wasn't that much gold in Europe. But D&D is not Europe. That's what I never understood. D&D is a post-apocalyptic society basically set in the American Old West, right? That's not exactly true. But it runs like a Western. Society runs. The world cultures work like American Western movies do. And it's post-apocalyptic. We know that. And, or at least, you know, there's great evidence depending how you run it. So why is it going to be a medieval world like you know, 1200s Europe. It doesn't have to be that. People like to bring in real history. Well, in real life, this armor didn't exist alongside that armor. But this is a fantasy world. And I don't mean that like, well, it's an elf game, so you don't have to have any rules. That's not what I'm saying. But what, how do we know that on the world that your D&D game's happening, gold isn't a lot more plentiful of a mineral? How do we know that there isn't enough gold out there that the gold standard makes sense? I think this is a part of gameplay that we fight for no reason because it works perfectly fine. If you use the monetary system the way it's written, it works fine. The problem is when we start thinking, well, gold's too valuable to be that plentiful. But you're also talking about a post-apocalyptic world that works like a Western. So... Why are you trying to bring monetary logic into it when the system they set out actually works fine for their economy until you start screwing with it? I never understood that. Okay, rant off. I like the Wander DM show. That's why I watched it. There's a link to that episode in the show notes, so check it out. If for some reason the gold thing bothers you, they give you some solutions. I also want to shout out to a new podcast. This is an old vlogger who used to vlog years ago that on YouTube that is now switched over to podcasting. And Sam Oldie, I'm probably saying that wrong, but the link's in the show notes. Check it out. If you know Ivan Mike six nineteen sixty eight, if you know Runeslinger, who I know listen to this show, you know Runeslinger. Well, Sam used to interact with all them doing the vlogs back and forth on YouTube and now Sam's got a podcast. So check that out. Very interesting show. There are three episodes up as I record this. Okay, now let's get to the meat of the episode. Well, pops up a beer or a cold libation. I can tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start up with some talking and some moody clips and popcorn fighting fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing, full month or movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the thoughts come on. Contest and of course, you know it's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today is mostly a call-in show. I know I was going to talk more about healing and hit points, 
but I think I'm going to mostly run this solo game as rules is written. Graveslug brought up some interesting points back on the 10th of November in the Audio Dungeon Discord. You can go back and look at those. But one thing that got linked to was a blog article that I will put in the show notes that later got turned into an article for Knoxpell. Knoxpell is an OSR, older OSR magazine. This is a Knoxpell issue three. You can find Knoxpell on DriveThruRPG, but I wouldn't buy it there. I would go to the Mythmere Games website, Matt Finch's website, and buy it there. It's $3 cheaper on Mythmere Games than it is on DriveThruRPG. So there's no reason to give DriveThru money for no reason, um, in my estimation. But it's a good article. It basically has your constitution being your hit points and your hit points being that extra fluff and you recover them pretty quickly after a battle. It's a little more in-depth than that, but that's the gist of it. The article in Knoxpell, not the one I'm linking to in the blog, also gives a color system for magic that eliminates clerics. So it's pretty interesting. And that same issue in Knoxpell, Knoxpell 3, has rules for chariot racing as well. And who doesn't love chariot racing? Um, as far as other ideas, you know, a while back I talked, I think with Rob over down the heap, about the idea of healing spells or at least potions doing where they will store like a quarter of your hit points or half your hit points or three quarters of your hit points for say cure light wounds, cure medium wounds, so on, but cure serious wounds. But the problem with that is it really nurse your lower level characters where a first level character before got a D8 back. Now they're only getting like two or three hit points back if they only get a quarter of their hit points back. So even though that scales, I, I don't know if it needs a scale by level. I think people are convincing me otherwise slowly. Um, there was a good discussion and there were other people involved in that discussion. I'm not mentioning everybody mainly because I didn't go back and make a big list. So if I'm leaving somebody out, I really do apologize to them, but I will link that one article in the show notes, but really I'm probably just going to run rules as written because it works and why tweak with it and mess with it when we know it works. And sometimes you just have to play the game and quit fiddling with the rules. Other than that, I don't have a whole lot to say today. I'm just going to go ahead and get into the calls, and we'll continue the discussion in there. I don't want it to be too long of a show. My son and I did go see the Marvels in the theater. I know not everybody's into Marvel movies, and they've been really down. This movie's caught a lot of bad publicity. It's not perfect. It definitely has some plot issues, but it's not that bad, really. And, you know, it's nice to have it under two hours. Honestly, this one could have used a little bit longer time to develop the plot and explain things a little bit better. I'm not going to give any spoilers here, but I will say I thought it was perfectly fine, and it fits in the continuity of the Marvel Universe for me much better than Thor Love and Thunder or Loki Season 1 did. I haven't seen Season 2 yet, but I feel Loki Season 1 and Thor Love and Thunder both made fun of... you. They, they broke Marvel continuity. They they ruined things in the other movies just for a laugh. And I have problems with that. Where this movie doesn't do any of that, it fits in with the other movies just fine. So I don't see the hate for it, but you know a lot of people feel they have to hate things just because or to join in with a group and do that. So who knows? Anyhow, let's get into the calls. Actually, before we get into the calls, I just want to remind everybody the movie for movie night this month is Crawl. So I've already got some great calls about the movie. I hope I get a bunch more. And you need to get me any calls that you have or any 
emails or messages. I had somebody send me a text message on Discord, and that's perfectly fine. But get me all your comments on the movie Crawl by the 24th of November. That episode comes out on the 27th. Really great comments so far. Lots of feelings about the movie, and I look forward to what other people think as they revisit the movie and send us their thoughts. Thank you again to Goblin's Henchman for coming up with this movie night concept. December is going to be a Conan Christmas because movie night falls on the 25th of December. So you'll be able to pick any of the Conan movies and call in about them, your thoughts on Conan. So I think that's going to be kind of interesting as well. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's open up the mailbag. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a drug by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jason. Daniel Brands keep calling in. I can't remember which episodes I called in for and which ones I didn't. I've been on the road, on the road, for two days. And now my brain is mush. Man, I used to travel all the time and never happened. Anyways, uh, just listen to the USR episode with you talking with Jay. That was really fun. Really good episode. Lots of stuff covered there. You know, I love the idea. And I was actually having a conversation at the con about this where they had they would have like a swap meet table. And there was lots of old games and lots of new games and cool stuff. But they had a stack of books. And I said, you know, when it comes down to it. At this stage, because I've played a lot of games and I kind of have systems I like, in some ways, picking up a pulp novel is really almost what I would do to get inspiration versus reading somebody's setting book. Not to say that's not great, because sometimes it's awesome to run in somebody's setting and whatever, but I love the emphasis on, like, if you're going to make a a game, right, if you're going to do something or even run a campaign, you know, dive into it, whether it be watching movies or reading comic books or you know, whatever, you know, whatever's out there, whatever kind of genre you want to run, you'll find stuff, right? You could watch a bunch of Thunder of the Barbarian, or you could read, you know, pulp novels, or even like, oh man, the Conan of the Barbarian comic books, you know, this there's all kinds of ways you could do that. You could pick up, you know, Western, old Western magazines, you can get them for free on, uh, you know, plot Project Gutenberg and stuff like that. You could read Western novels, you could watch all the cold TV shows, you could watch us, the movies that they're still making, so there's lots of stuff to just drop into. And I, I think that's really great. But one of my problems is <laughs> I tend to like a lot of different things. So, you know, all at once. So I'm, I'm constantly bouncing around. But it is nice to kind of focus your thoughts. And I can tell you that half the time when I come up with my best ideas for adventures, it's because I saw something in a book that just really was like, oh, that's a good idea or a TV show. And then how can I make that work for the world that I'm running right now? So, yeah, I love the idea of getting inspiration to do stuff. Not to say people shouldn't obviously create games and stuff, and they're not awesome to do. And <laughs> I don't know, maybe I should do an unboxing. I, d- I did buy I did buy nine games, so or maybe eight eight games, eight or nine. Anyways, I did buy several games because <laughs> <and laughs> I couldn't help myself. But uh, yeah, there's so much great content out there that that I just and I enjoy listening to you discussing it with the various uh, creators. So awesome! I think that's it. Oh, what well, the healing uh, episode? I don't think I called in for that. Cool. I mean, obviously, you know my opinions on that. So that was really fun. I'm curious to see what other people think about that. I unfortunately missed the Sleepy Hollow one. Like, I haven't listened to it yet, so I got to go back. That's a little longer, but that that's pretty cool. And I think I called in for the one before that with Ray Otis. I think so. Anyways, if not, 
Keep up what you're doing. It's all awesome. And I will talk to you soon. Daniel, thank you for that call. Really appreciate it. You know, Daniel teased us. He talked about, you know, he went up to Canada for a con and he teased us over on his latest episode as this drops on the games that he bought, but he hasn't mentioned them yet that I know of, not as of time of this recording. So I hope you do an unboxing or at least talk about the eight games or nine games that you bought. I, I'm really curious what, what you picked up. Speaking of neat things that Daniel's done lately, he has also put out a great video on how to be a good player. It's up on YouTube. I'll link it in the show notes. I don't think there's enough content that's aimed at players instead of GMs. We have tons of videos and tons of podcasts that deconstruct and talk about modules and obviously players until they play the module don't want to listen to those and we have tons of things on how to be a good gm and we have dogs barking in the background but we don't have tons of things aimed towards players so hopefully we'll see some more of that kind of content and i'm as guilty as anybody for not doing player specific content so i'm gonna have to think about how to do a better job there as far as using just novels or movies or things like that as inspiration a hundred percent you know recently i kind of gotten back into D with the idea of running a solo game and part of that was an old thread i was reading on dragon's foot i think or might have been knights and knaves or O D D 74 one of the old forums about the idea of using the hobbit the original 1937 hobbit in the original drafts of the similar Cimmer- that you can get, I think you need like book four of the Lost Tales or something. I can put it, I can track that down if somebody really wants to know. But, and because those are pretty closely written together. And just using those in the Holmes rule set, because Holmes only goes levels one to three, but if you use Holmes as a complete game and did that, you could have a really interesting, fairly low magic game that stays pretty deadly to the characters or pretty dangerous to the characters the entire time. And we're doing the read-along for The Lord of the Rings over on the Audio Dungeon that Ray Otis is leading. And we, we're just on the two chap this week of the first two chapters of The Fellowship of the Ring. And with the detail, the Shire, and, you know, it talks about two different inns that are in the Shire, right? And the detail they give on how it's run and things like that. You you could easily set a game, in a Hobbit-centric game in that area maybe you're the bounders keeping undesirable types out of the shire maybe you get sent somewhere to pick something up you know but there's enough detail there and like say you could pick enough detail out and again even with the 37 hobbit not even talk about fellowship of the ring that you could easily do an interesting little game you know you had already called in suggestions for james knight for his space game that he wants to base around revelation space. But what you say is interesting. I think where it kind of falls apart and where it is a little bit tough and you, it, the setting books or the game systems help are when we're trying to incorporate something like psionics, like James wants to do, because if you don't have rules that kind of already mimic what you want, sometimes it can be hard to come up with rules that are going to work correctly. That aren't going to throw the game off. That'll still mimic what you're looking for. So that is the one place, I, if we're talking just fantasy stuff or kind of generic sci-fi stuff, and, and I don't mean to downplay those two, or even superhero stuff, like you could take most superhero games and play the boys if you want, right? I mean, you don't need a, the boys role-playing game to play the boys. You need something that can simulate regular superhero powers. And and the same thing with fantasy. If you want to do 
whatever fantasy game, it's not hard to morph a fantasy game into that. You know, maybe you change up some monster descriptions, things like that, but it's not that hard. Um, but when we're doing something like a specific kind of psionics or something, I think it does get a little bit tougher. We're going to have some calls later on from Carl about Revelation Space and recommendations for those games. But before we do that, we've got a call from Joe over at Hindsightless responding to Harrigan's comment to Spencer about the chase rules, Call Cthulhu, where Spencer kind of complained that Andy Goodman didn't take the time to learn all learn internalize all the chase rules for call cthulhu and harrigan said you know there are a lot of chase rules and joe's going to respond to that so let's hear what joe has to say yo jason so calling in about the uh chase rules and call of cthulhu uh because harrigan was like oh there's the chase rules are 21 pages well the chapter is 21 pages, but the chapter is largely examples of play, which is a really good thing I hear from most of the OSR community. Um, art, <laughs> tables on vehicles and stuff. So the rules themselves for the chase rules are could easily fit on a note card. The rest of the chapter, like I said, is just explaining how those rules work. Um, giving examples and stuff. So the chase rules in Call of Cthulhu aren't all that difficult. It's based, I mean, from what Spencer said, it sounds like Andy did it basically right. It's based on your deck's score, your movement rate. You get a number of movement points. You set up the pursuer. You set up the fleeing character, and then you go from there. Uh, you can throw in hazards if you want, but in general, the chase rules are fairly simple. The chapter is 21 pages because it is a mini game sort of set aside from the rest of Call of Cthulhu. So they really wanted to make sure people understood it because when they were playtesting, people would be like, this seems very complicated, which once you play it, I've actually used them before. They're not very complicated and all these examples really help and then the art they just throw in because the seventh edition call of cthulhu book is totally full of art so yeah the chapter is 21 pages for chase rules the rules themselves could be fit on a note card so that's all i wanted to say anyway dude take it easy peace out joe thank you for that clarification now you've actually run this so i take your word for it I know lots and lots of people say the chase rules in Call of Cthulhu are really complicated. So, you know, do they need all that space? To, examples are always good, but do they really need that much space? I don't know. I haven't done chases or read the chase rules in there, so I'm not sure. Maybe I'll have to try to do that. I really don't have the time to mess with it right now, to be honest. But it, it is interesting that the community in general kind of feels are complicated. But like you say, they're if they're pretty succinct, then... You know, what's going on there? I don't know. Now, is that all Joe has to say, though? I guess we'll have to wait to find out. But for now, let's switch it to Carl, who's going to talk about recommendations for Revelation Space. Hey, Jason, how did I miss that conversation about Revelation Space with James McKnight? That is such a fantastic series of books, and uh, the author has uh, a lot of short stories and other kind of tales in that verse and i think i think traveler would work right you got to strip away all the third imperium stuff and even if uh, earlier incarnation of traveler which can be more malleable um, classic traveler 
or Mega Traveler, where you have books that have like, oh, these are the different tech levels for your particular sci-fi verse. Um, I guess Manga Traveler, if you just use a core book, would work too, because everything else kind of has a third Imperium in the back background. But the core book for Manga Traveler 2 does have, like, it is pretty generic, so it, it could work. So the other game that's coming out, and because I think Revelation is kind of maybe dark, gritty, is this game called Imperium Maledictum, which is nominally sent, set in the Warhammer 40K universe, but you can just, again, you know, file off the serial numbers and use the kind of system probably could be adapted for Revelation space. I think that would work pretty well. Percentile die system, right? Um, so I think it would work pretty neat. I think I, I'm, I always debate about like Savage Worlds, and maybe you could use like Last Parsec or the Space Spares Companion or whatever, uh, but it might be a little too pulpy. Although I feel like the characters, the main characters in those books were larger than life. So that could be kind of cool too. But I love, I love, uh, I love some love for Revelation Space. Great series of novels and stories. Okay, before I forget, a second set of recommendation recommendations for games for James Knight. That's Knight with a K, Knight. Not McKnight, I apologize, James, for games set in Revelation space. So there's two of them that come to mind, uh, both of which because there's a lot of like sleeving and forks and that type of technology in Revelation space and body modifications. So two games, one which I've run before, though not with the intended game system. So I ran a transhuman space campaign on Hero Central a long time ago. If you can track down those books, uh, it's great uh, stuff for like near near sci-fi technology with an idea that transhumanism is going to keep going and expand and that's kind of how Re revelation space explores anyway um it uses a GURP system for all the stats or whatever but you could just use it as a world lore or technology lore and either use GURPS, just reskin it or um like i used star hero i used hero system to do it so um so i think that worked really well too and i ran that for a few years on hero central it went, went really well um anyway the other game that could work it's a more modern game and you'd still have to reskin it because of well, take out all the lore but use the rule system it's eclipse phase and that just came out with the second edition percentile dice system it would definitely really work especially with the uh, forks and transhumanism um, and the kind of, it's probably, and both are kind of have the sort of, uh, idea. You probably will have to modify a little bit space travel, um, because they eat, both of them have, uh, the, both of them do have not, no light speed or no faster than light travel. Um, just like Revelation Space, but in Eclipse Phase, they have gates, much like Expanse and then, uh, the Expanse Universe. And in trans, uh, transhuman space, well, they haven't left the solar system yet. Um, so maybe transhuman space, at least the tech is more grounded and similar to revelation space, except for the, you know, sending ships out to nearby uh, solar systems and, um, and uh, yeah, like they do in revelation space. So another good one might be, uh, just thought about it, uh, 2300 AD. Uh, again, you'd have to take the lore all out, but maybe the idea... Um, of, of what they have out there in the technology other than the stutter warp faster than light travel technology would work. Okay, there you go.
part two. Hi, Jason. It's Peter, also known as Space Baby. I uh, am remiss in not uh, calling more often, but I have a whole bunch of responses to a bunch of different things. Um, first is Gonzo versus Weird. Um, I think in our hobby, the issue with Gonzo is that um, Gonzo is, is the breaking of genre. Um, and we're all, uh, the hobby seems to be slaves to genre. And um, anything Gonzo comes across as uncanny valley, off-putting in a lot of cases, because we're, we're, we're screwing around with genre. Now, weird science, weird fantasy, that is a genre, and we all kind of understand that from the Appendix N and, and other, other texts. Uh, we know what that genre is like. Um, and so Gonzo, uh, in my opinion, kind of feels like you're tearing that apart. And that's why a lot of people don't really like it. Um, and Gonzo, one of the big genre mistakes with Gonzo, or at least the reason why so many people bounce off of it, is because in that tearing up a genre, often we throw in comedy as, a, as a, an addition to the genres. And... Uh, a lot of people don't like comedy in their games. Um, let's be fair. Um, it is good for some. It is bad for others. Um, paranoia, for example. Uh, I mean, it, it's an understood genre. Um, you know, it, the computer's out to get you. The name is in the title. Like the the, the name is on the tin, right? Um, so, um, so the comedy kind of comes out of that. I don't know how fun Paranoia would be if you played it straight. Anyway, genre, gonzo, uh, that's the issue, I think, at the heart of it. Uh, sorry, I'm driving, so I'm a little little distracted. Number two, um, the recommendation for a science fiction game. Um, I would think A Thousand Suns by uh, James Malashevsky or Malazuski, depending on how you pronounce his name. Um, it's only got two books. Uh, it's pretty easy to get. I think if you reach out to him, he'll probably send you a free PDF. Um, a bit of old, old school feel. Um, yeah, it is the Grognardia guy. Um, but that's the one I would recommend. And then finally, way back, Fish Out of Water. Jason, I can't believe no one mentioned Die Hard. Total Fish Out of Water. Anyway, I'll keep listening and keep making. Thanks again. Okay, so we heard Carl from the Geomologist Presents and then Peter Spezbaby from the Discords there. Thank you both for your recommendations for James Knight for his game. Hopefully at some point I'll get back with James and we'll find out what he decided to go with. Thousand Sons, I picked that up back a while back. I don't think I've ever actually looked at it though. <laughs> Maybe I need to actually take a look at it. I don't know. I think, Peter, you nailed the thing with Gonzo though. I think you really did. The breaking of genre is what causes issues for people. I think you really nailed it. As far as Die Hard being a fish out of water, sure. That You know, there's so many great, great fish out of water tales. As we come up to Christmas and we think about Christmas movies, another movie that's a fish out of water tale is Elf that just recently celebrated its 20th birthday. And... Yet another Christmas-slash-Halloween fish-out-of-water tale, this is probably the right time of year to watch it, is A Nightmare Before Christmas. 
30 years. Man, we're getting old. Let me throw the mic back to a young whippersnapper to revitalize the conversation. Hey, Jason, really enjoyed your episode where you're talking about Beck Me and the Rule Cyclopedia, though, I mean, I'm not a real fan of people eating crows, but that's all right, man. That's all right. It's funny. You mentioned that dude, uh, Ivan Mike 1968, and up until a couple weeks ago, I had no idea who that was, and now I'm in a game with him. <laughs> I'm playing in a Call of Cthulhu game run by Anthony, a.k.a. Runeslinger, and he's in that Ivan Mike dude is one of the other uh, players in the game, so that's crazy. Dude is an amazing role player. I just want to say that. Just put that out there. He is awesome. Anyway, man skills let's talk a little bit about skills you were mentioning how in uh the rules cyclopedia back me there's there's too many skills and you'd cut down on the skill list some so you know i love beyond the wall and when you're making a just a straight up character without using any of the playbooks you get skills every class gets two skills except for the rogue they get four skills but there is no skill list. You can pick whatever skill you want. There is no skill list at all. So what, you know, that's that's the question, right? Do you want a big, long skill list where it lists a ton of skill? Or do you want no skill list where you just pick whatever you want and then maybe you pick something that isn't going to matter at all? So, yeah, I don't know. It's very crazy. It's interesting, right? What do you think? Do you, I mean, obviously you don't like the big long skill list, but do you like no skill list where you can just pick whatever skills you want? Let me know. Take it easy. Peace out. No, actually I like a smaller skill list that's more generalized skills. You know, when we think about Barbarians of Lemuria and the way careers work in there, if you're a sailor, you automatically have all the skills associated with that career. And we see a number of games do that. Now, I don't know if they have to be that broad. But I really like that kind of system. So I think actually some of these other games, I think Pathfinder is a little bit big of a skill list, to be honest. But Pathfinder 1 I'm talking about. But the D&D one, is, was, was there 18 there? And I think there's 17, in, or 5e has 18. I think 4e had 17, something like that. Maybe that's about right. You know, maybe three or four skills under, and I'm surprised Carl hasn't called, or maybe he already has called. And, and I missed it, but Twilight 2000 4th Edition, you know, has a handful of skills under each attribute, and I kind of like that. Maybe like three or four skills under each attribute that are pretty wide-ranging skills to cover situations. I don't think we need underwater basket weaving, right? But athletics, which could cover horsemanship and could cover other things, I think is probably okay in a D&D kind of game. Otherwise, you end up with the fighter that puts 18 in his decks, well, or the wizard that puts 18 in his decks, because wizards have to have the high decks, right? And you have a character didn't roll very well, so they put a nine in their decks, and they play a thief, and now you have the wizard that can tightrope walk so much better than the thief, because we're just doing attribute checks. And, and that's kind of part of the issue with attribute checks, is while that could be neat, we, we kind of want characters to be pretty good at what they're good at anyway. And that's the other issue with the skills in Beckme, is potentially, like with stealth, you can have characters that are better than thieves at doing things. And, and so I'm not thrilled with, why well, back me, Rule Cyclopedia, the way it's presented in Rule Cyclopedia. Like I say, some of them almost end up being feats, and I'm not a big fan of that. I like the general idea of having it, but I would like 
more broader ranging skills, and I don't want them to override where the classes fit and the class abilities, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I don't want it free form, but I don't want a huge, huge list either. Now that I've rambled all about that, let's take another call that's going to touch on that. Actually, this is a series of calls from Brian of the Have to Look That Up podcast. We haven't heard from Brian for a little while, but it's good to hear his voice. And let's hear what he has to say. Aloha, Jason. It's Brian calling in. It has been a while. I am uh, still getting caught up on different podcasts, spending a lot of time gaming. Actually, it's been it's been a good couple months for us down here in the uh, the greater uh, Brisbane uh, area for RPGs, and have been running quite a bit. But the reason I wanted to call in, actually, two separate episodes that have been really interesting to me. So the first one with Ray Otis. So I think it was five sixty nine. I loved your conversation, and I loved. The fact that Ray was talking about gaming on cruises, we um, I'm not sure if it really counts, but uh, when we went to Antarctica last year on the cruise, my son and I did a little bit of D&D, just him and me, mostly, you know, a new character and a bit of a kind of kind of a layer crawl, not really a full game. Um, wasn't quite the right uh, crew on board, I think, willing to jump in a D&D game. But it was one thing that went through my mind when listening to to Ray talk about the fact that there was quite a good gaming group on the cruise, and he was able to get an impromptu D and D session going. I love hearing those stories. I've often, you know, wondered, and we've we've traveled a bit, and and mostly it's my, at least as a family, it's my son and I playing D and D. But I've tried to get in games definitely since I spent a lot of time in Singapore as well as other places. So yeah, that's motivational. Also. I like hearing about it because it kind of, I'd say a bit inspirational, but a bit of a, it's it's a nice reminder of how light you can make some RPGs, or I'd say almost many RPGs, and I don't mean in terms of the rules, but as he said, he's got some dice. Maybe if you didn't even have dice, if you've got apps, you get some people, you get them around a pub and play, and uh, you're good to go. Aloha, Jason. It's Brian. Just listened to the latest episode, the Rules Cyclopedia episode, while I was out digging trenches this morning. Maybe that's the benefit of, of getting it early on my Monday morning <laughs> and can listen. But this is actually a really good topic, and I'm going to have to go to that video that you mentioned and linked, mostly because when I think back, I mean, BX was was my game, even when we played AD&D, it was a lot of the the the, the, if you pardon the pun, the basics of B and X in terms of, you know, the engine, even though we did add in other classes, I think a lot of us would end up defaulting to those rules just because we do them best, or at least that that's what it evoked. And we've got a pretty good old school essentials campaign going, but I've often wondered, I mean, it's hard to say, is, is the rule cyclopedia worth it picking up now because PDFs or even bound versions you can get on drive through fairly inexpensively? The thing that I've always been curious about are really those rules and just the little bits of, of play and guidance that might have been contained in the companion and, and master sets, and I guess immortals, because I do remember these came out as uh, we were probably playing less and less D&D. We were playing a few other games, but I think through the latter part of high school, 
when a lot of these were in stores, we were doing board games, if anything, and then university, the military. So it is just a curiosity to get those. And I'm whenever I see the the sales for, you know, either old school or Black Friday or whatever, I always wonder if it's better to get that or just, you know, get the PDFs of the, the companion master, which I actually don't know if they're on the the drive through I should check. But yeah, I, I enjoy hearing about it because again, it's uh it's it's probably a lot of nostalgia and just to try to see what uh what what I may have missed in that sense. Cheers. Brian, thank you so much for those calls. I really appreciate it. It was great having Ray Otis on. I always enjoy talking to Ray. And yeah, it it's just one of those things. Even if nobody else played, it's still cool that you and your son got to do that. And who knows, you know, if you go in a public area and do it, you never know who might join in or come by. And so I, I think gaming in public where you can isn't a bad thing. And especially today, now that a lot of the stigma of role-playing games isn't as bad as it used to be decades ago, I think you could definitely go and game in public or read a gaming book in public and have positive interactions with people. You know, it doesn't have to be people throwing fruit at you and calling you a nerd and things like that. Um, did people ever do that, throw fruit? I don't know. Probably not. As far as the Rule Cyclopedia and the Beck Me sets, yeah, I started with the Beck Me sets and then pretty quickly moved on to AD&D, but I had all the Beck Me sets. Rule Cyclopedia didn't come out until I was in the Army, so I never had that back in the day. I agree with you. Today, there's not really any reason to pick up the original. There are some complaints that a little bit of the text is a little bit blurry in the print-on-demand version, but... The Rule Cyclopedia print-on-demand version is, it, it just makes sense, I think, to get that. And that's really the easiest way to, to do that. You can get all of them on PDF. I'm not sure about print-on-demand, but all the original box sets are available in PDF through DriveThruRPG. I actually do have PDFs of all of them. I've still got copies of them that I gave my son. I assume he still has them. I should probably check. Uh, <laughs> but... So I don't actually have physical copies because I gave them to my son, but I've got PDFs of them all, which is good enough. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting rule set, and there's some really interesting things that they tried to do to expand it. Uh, weapons mastery is an interesting thing because one thing I didn't talk about that you know, uh, Ivan Mike 1968 talks about, I believe in the video, but one thing that I don't really like with weapons mastery is it turns it into non-proficient skill slots. So basically... Instead of a fighter being qualified to use any of the weapons or proficient in the use of all of his weapons and cleric being proficient to use any weapons that cleric class can use, you get an upper proficiency slot. It's a lot like AD&D. And you have to pick which weapons you're proficient in. And then as you go up in levels every so often, you'll get another proficiency slot. And the fighters get a lot more, so that leads to the weapon mastery. But in theory, there's nothing stopping because in Beckme a wizard can only use a dagger. That's it. So there's nothing stopping a wizard from becoming the dagger master and the super knife fighter um, with a rule system. So I think that's a little bit weird. Personally, I would leave all classes being proficient with all, all the weapons that their class can use. And I would only have fighters and mystics, which are the monks of Beckme, use the system. And they talk about training in here. That's the other thing that's neat is the rules for training. And I and I think the mystics would, you know, basically you'd have to go to the Shaolin Temple to be trained on this exotic weapon, right? It's that kind of idea. And I think that would be kind of neat. 
But thank you so much for the calls. I really, really appreciate them. And now, a message for anybody else that happened to send a call in but hasn't heard it. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear. As I mentioned in the beginning of the week, I will be traveling as this episode comes out. I'm already going to be on the road. I will not be checking Discord or even really email or anything. So I'll basically be offline until the 22nd of November. So if you send something in, I'll get it and I will play it. And I will respond to you when I get back online. But for the next week or so, if I don't answer you, it's not because I'm ignoring you. So I hope to have an episode out before American Thanksgiving. If not, I hope that everybody that celebrates American Thanksgiving has a great Thanksgiving. I want to thank Ray Otis for the coffee cup clip art, TJ for the wonderful music. And I want to ask everybody to please be excellent to each other. Joking about your spouse, but the operator screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. Sure is a dustbin and your oil is by a tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are arising and the world is gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train